All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Hi. Uh, my name is Christy Ritchie. My podcast is called Friends Among Strangers. And we are here for the 12 o'clock industry session, new media show live with James Cridlin, Todd Cochran, Rob Greenlee, Rachel King, and Andy Bowers. Let's give them a warm evolutions. Welcome. Everybody, good morning and welcome to the new media show. My name is Todd Cochran with my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenlee. This is a format that's a little interesting because we actually stream this to about six different locations. So we're getting people checking in not only on the podcast movement feed, but also through our new media show network of, uh, I guess, destination places. But um, this is a format that we like to do at, at events. And Rob is largely responsible for organizing it, but I'll let him go ahead and introduce our guest and we'll go from there. Yeah, so I'm excited to be here. Podcast Movement um, Evolutions in Los Angeles. So if you didn't know where we were at, that's where we're at. Um, this is the, the final day of the Podcast Movement Conference, and this has become kind of a, a, a ritual for us, Todd. We, we do this show live on stage at uh, pretty much all the conferences um, in podcasting. So, and the goal of this is to bring together, you know, some industry leaders that can talk about some of the hottest issues in podcasting and we're certainly uh, lucky to, and as I lose my voice, <clears throat> to have James Cridlin here, who's the editor and founder of Pod News. Uh, he's he's really provided a lot of leadership in the podcasting industry around really exposing a lot of aspects of podcasting that have been, I don't think, quite exposed as much as they needed to be in the past. So, um, And then uh, Rachel King, who's the CEO of um, podpeople.com. It's a full, full featured company that's doing a lot of different things, and we're going to learn about that as well today. And Andy Bowers, who's been a longtime member of the podcast community and uh, has a new project that we're going to talk a little bit about, and is also the head of audio at inside.com and is co founder of a new company called Spooler, which is generating a lot of buzz in the industry right now. Thank you. Thank you guys for being here. Yeah. Thanks for inviting us. Just as an administrative note, this show has been going on for about 10 years. It's kind of strange, two competitors actually hosting a, a show together, so it can become quite lively at times. So make sure you go over to newmediashow.com and follow or subscribe to the podcast. And obviously we do video as well. So uh, we've been doing video for the show since its inception and we're approaching 500 episodes. But Rob, you want to kick us off on our extensive agenda here? Normally, we don't do agenda. We don't plan. We just talk. But today, uh, we have a plan. Yeah, let's just let's jump right into it. We don't have a lot of time here, but, um, you know, some of the hottest topics in podcasting right now are really, um, you know, what's going on with the, you know, the areas of independent podcasting as well as kind of the movement and development of corporate podcasting, which is, uh, I don't even know if that's even the right term to describe it, um, but it's, it, it's the professionalization of the medium, and we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit too, but... Um, this friction uh, and the feeling that indies are having out there um, around, you know, not feeling like they're getting as much love as they maybe um, should. Um, and just wanted to throw it out to the group. Um, there's talk about indies needing some sort of group representation in the medium to make sure that they get, you know, the proper attention that they need. Do, do any of you or all of you think that this is this is a real issue, or do you think, and what type of solutions do you kind of think might be possible here? I don't, 
Uh, who wants to go first? James, you want to go first? Uh-oh. Uh, I can certainly go first. Thank you so much for inviting me back again uh, to uh, take part in the new, the new media show, by the way. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I a kind of half of me worries about giving indies um, something which is just for indies, like a, you know, indies-only um, uh, award or an indies-only podcast awards or something, because what you're saying is that the audio is somehow different to some of the big companies, and you're not necessarily saying that it's better different, you're just saying that it's different, and I'm, I'm not sure that that tells a great story. Having said that, I do think that in terms of um, the more commercial aspects, the more, you know, um, uh, podcast advertising and that sort of thing, Tom Webster wrote a very interesting piece uh, last week where he was saying that um, if you want to reach 50% of the audience of uh, podcast listeners, then you only have to advertise now in four different podcast networks. Mm -hmm. And that's a worry. And I think from my point of view, I would really like to see a podcast advertising bureau. We can learn a lot from radio and how radio has done this. So that podcasting is going to advertisers as one industry right. and saying, look, you can buy on all of these different podcasts through all of these different networks. And I think um, that's the real opportunity that we have for podcasting to act as one against, um, you know, large, um, large uh, organizations like commercial radio and Spotify and other people like, like that. Yeah, I have kind of a, um, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with all that, but I'm, I come at it from more of a, a content perspective and helping people make the kind of content that they want to because I am most interested in the content that's coming from the indie creators. Um, I'll just give you a little bit of background on Pod People to so that my point of view makes sense. Um, so we are a full service production company making shows for Netflix and Meredith Corporation, you know, Travel and Leisure, People. Uh, we've also started doing our own originals. But I think the thing that's most interesting about us and really differentiates us is that we've built a community of 2,500 independent, talented audio creators that we use for our own projects, of course, and staff them there, but also it's just a robust community where we're providing workshops and learning and all of that, especially in the pandemic. So nice to have that community, especially as freelancers and independents. Um, and we also uh, staff for clients. So Wondery and Spotify who are constantly in need. And for a long time, this very talented community has been asking us, how do I get my show made? Like, how do I get my idea to your clients and we're like yes we'd love to help with that but it we're you know we're a scrappy startup ourselves just didn't have the bandwidth finally we're big enough making the time and have launched what we're calling the pod pipeline kind of like the blacklist is for screenplays to be able to get you know source the best ideas from this talented community we'll package them we'll pitch them we'll create a pilot or you know whatever it needs in order to get it sold and then shop it around via an exclusive agreement to the biggest players in audio my my hope is that we'll be able to get a lot of really great independent ideas made and out into the marketplace while negotiating on their behalf, retaining a substantial piece of the IP. Because that, for me, is one of the biggest issues as well. Right. Even if you get your idea made and sell it, you're usually handing over all of the rights to potential derivatives or any of that. And that sucks. So we're trying to fix that. But I mean, do indies need group representation? Yes, absolutely. Full, full stop. 
Uh, Shall I go ahead? Yes, please do. Uh, Like some of the others on this panel, I've been around in podcasting long enough to remember the days when all podcasts were independent podcasts. Right, that's exactly, yeah. (laughs) There was no distinction. And I remember at the time thinking, when are the big guys going to pay attention to us? Right. When are they going to come in and make it a real industry? And be careful what you wish for. Right, uh, right. Because, uh, you know, corporatization has certain inevitable effects, and we're seeing them now. It's not all bad. Um, you know, I think podcasting is reaching a lot more people than it ever did before, in part because of the consolidation. Um, so you take the good with the bad. But since the beginning of podcasting, I've thought of uh, the best analogy for this medium as the early days of the film industry. When first, you know, it was anyone who could get their hands on a camera was making interesting stuff. They were setting the rules of what this medium was. They were establishing the grammar of it. And then, inevitably, as there was money to be made, studios came in and started consolidating. But throughout that hundred years of of cinema, uh, there have always been ways for independent people to come in to make things. It isn't always a guarantee that they will have a blockbuster film, but there are lots of other reasons to do independent films and independent podcasts, to establish your voice, to learn what you're doing, to learn your audience. And I think... With the uh, consolidation in podcasting, there are still many, many opportunities um, for you to do something worthwhile of, of unique value to your audience and that can get you on the radar if your goal is to work in, in the more consolidated corporate side of podcasting. You know, from my perspective and talking to podcasters every day, I'm, I, a year ago, I would say there was not this sentiment of worry but I think I've tried to narrow down what that worry really is. And ultimately is, it's really about podcasters want to grow their show. That's number one by far. I hear that day in and day out. And then not as much about monetize. But in the end, that always seems to come full circle. You know, can I monetize? And we, we know well that 97% of the podcasting space today is not monetized. 50% of that 97% don't care. They never want to make a penny. But the other 45 or so percent want some sort of opportunity to monetize a show. So I think if we find a way to help podcasters grow, number one, keeps them encouraged doing their show. And number two, help them monetize, even if it's take their partner to dinner money, maybe car payment money, maybe someday house payment money, and someday maybe life-changing money. That, I think, is what we need to help reassure independent podcasters that there's going to be a continued place for them and again the goal for every show is different some people just want to reach one people and some want to reach a mass and good great content always races to the top but i think we have to once again and this has been what we've been battling for a long long time is you know in the early days of podcasting when there was again no commercial podcasts the and smaller podcasts all the money was in smaller podcasts and when the big shows up the money rolled up the money's never rolled back down, so I challenge if there's any media buyers watching, you're missing out on literally a billion impressions a month of independent content creators that is not being monetized. Yeah, it begs the question a little bit. I was I was thinking about this too. Is you know group representation? What does that really mean in a practical sense from the standpoint of the indie community? And I think one thing that could happen, and I I, I think to some degree it is happening, is the formation of more networks. Um, and I'm also seeing other kind of um, groupings 
that are created, like the the Sheep Podcasting Group, um, other ones that are you know creating community around this, and really the solution of this may be funneled around community um, more, and that's and and those communities can can advocate for indies. But I think it's like like Todd said, I think it's very much a a marketing question, um, and in, and and basically an influence question and an audience growing question. Um, but I think it is an important question for us to think about. And and I've, I've thought for many years that the networks, the podcast networks concept, uh, we would see groupings you know, more and more happen in the podcasting space. And I think that it's continuing to happen. And then eventually the the smaller networks would get gobbled up by the bigger networks and and you know, and we would have this massive kind of um, representation of the indie side. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying this because I think corporate podcasting is bad. I think great content is really the the goal here. Um, but it's still it's still something we need to keep talking about and focusing on. I think. And does anybody else have any other comments before we move on? I feel like if someone out there wants to start the indie podcast network, if it doesn't already exist, like now's the time. Go for it. Right. That's free. Yeah, you know, Rob and I had, you know, thought we would be radical at one point and say, let's do a strike on a certain platform and bring everyone out and say, uh, we're not coming back until you pay us. But that's not going to work. So, uh, uh, you know, it's what platform those, might that cause be, a revolution yeah, of cause, sorts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What platform would that might be? Start with an S. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's let, let's kind of move on and talk about kind of cutting edge tech and podcasting. I know um, Todd and I are kind of geeks in the podcasting space, kind of where we started. But uh, but I think it's important to talk about this stuff because it may be coming. Um, like like the importance of AI, the artificial intelligence um, movements in the tech side, um, and and how important that might be as you look at um, transcripts, um, voice cloning, which is good and bad. There's a lot of issues around deep fakes and, and people creating content based on written um, content and, you know, like platforms like Descript and, and then dynamic ad insertion. There's a lot of stuff that's going on in the podcasting space that impacts podcasters in a lot of ways. But, you know, I'm going to throw it out to the panel and talk about um, AI and what they're seeing happen in combination with transcripts and in mm. other areas too. If you're seeing developments in the medium that are mm. that are important for podcasters. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think the transcripts thing is something which baffles me. I think <laughs> if we, we're only at 1.1%, and part of that is that there isn't a standard way uh, that's agreed by the larger podcast platforms for getting transcripts into podcast players. Now, I've seen uh, this morning, if you, d if you check out Pod News on Twitter... Uh, then you'll see that Chris Messina, friend of the show, has um, posted a link of the new Spotify interface for podcasting, which includes live transcripts. Uh, and it's really exciting to end up seeing. Now, where are those transcripts coming from? I don't know. They're not coming from the podcaster. Is that a good thing? Probably not. Um, so that's one thing to have a, have a think about. I think the other thing, though, is um, SiriusXM was taken to court at the end of last year because they weren't providing transcripts. Still, here we are in 2022. It's March. We still have no agreement from Apple, from uh, Spotify, from Google Podcasts, at least on iOS phones, that there'll be any live captions, any transcripts. And those are different, by the way 
within those apps. And I think that's a great shame. And it really surprises me that the podcast platforms aren't working harder mm. to get to make podcasts accessible to everybody out there. And why, why do we have to wait until it becomes a legal case? Why can we not just move forward now? There's a standard already set by, by the Podcast Index folks, by Podcasting 2.0. It would be great to see um, a large podcast player uh, take that standard and begin surfacing transcripts within the apps. Yeah, I agree. The accessibility piece is obviously the most important of that, but it's also a missed marketing opportunity. I've seen some really beautiful transcripts that are presented like in script form and they're gorgeous, but just for the searchability of the content that's in there, you know, you're immediately making your show content much more accessible, easier to find, um, as well as accessible, which obviously is the most important reason to do it. But as we know, we often need to be, give people a selfish reason to <laughs> actually move forward. And so I would, I would just pretend, like think of it as a marketing opportunity. Yeah, so I think, you know, transcripts are the most important thing of this list. And I think then, secondly, using dynamic insertion. I love the fact that you haven't put dynamic advertising insertion because dynamic audio insertion is really yeah. cool. And well, you, and you are Andy's. doing some amazing things. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> that's why Andy's here is to talk about that part of it, right? It's that dynamic insertion doesn't have to be ads. Uh, sure. Uh, thank you for teeing that up. Um, <laughs> well, I, one of my previous jobs was I was a co-founder of Megaphone, now owned by Spotify, um, which was one of the early uh, partners in um, developing dynamic ad insertion. And I was just fascinated when we started playing around with this about what it could do not only for ads, but for content. I'm, I'm a content guy. Um, and, you know, our decision was smart business-wise to, to lead with dynamic ad insertion. But um, the, the idea just never left my head that if, you know, if I could have the ability to take little different pieces of content and put them together in, in unusual and interesting ways, that we could create kinds of content that had never been heard before. So uh, recently I teamed up with James Boggs, who many of you may know as the former head of Apple Podcasts, and a few others to start a company called Spooler, which does exactly this. It is focused exclusively on content creators and producers and allows uh, you to take different pieces of content and stitch them together using the same kind of stitching that is used for dynamic ad insertion. But you can create whole shows with this in a, in a variety of different ways. The first show we've created is through my other job at insider.com, also known as Business Insider, where we're doing a dynamic newscast where for six hours every morning we are inserting the latest news into a, a, a newscast and anything new that happens, we just slot it in and within seconds it's available to the listener. So in some ways it's faster than say a top of the hour radio newscast where you have to wait until that comes along. Um, it gives us a kind of flexibility that has never really existed in the podcast space before. Um, and one of our goals is to bring news, updated information that is relevant to people's lives into an ecosystem that has been largely devoid of it up until now. It's, it's available on the radio, but many, especially in younger generations, are getting their audio from podcasting. And this is something we think is important, but it's just one use case for this kind of, I, I think of them as Lego bricks of content that... Uh, once you're inside of Spooler, you can put in a playlist in any order you want. You can move them around. You can put stingers and theme music and music beds underneath all of this 
in ways that sound like a, a beginning-to-end produced, even live show, but are actually very, very flexible. Um, that, that's the short explanation of what we've started with. So what kind of new types of content uh, do you see coming out of that? I mean, what kind of topics? What, what's the focus, do you think, of the genre that would uh, utilize this technology? Well, I think anything that involves uh, frequent updating of information, so sports and weather and even traffic if we get to the localized level. Um, but also, it doesn't have to just be for the context, context that we're using it in for a complete news program. It can be uh, uh, just a regular podcast that you want to have one small section that is dynamically updated because, you know, a weekly show, people listen to it all week long. There may be one part of it that you want to keep updated with information that the, that the audience would find relevant two days from now that they, aren't, that they didn't on the day that you um, made it. The, the analogy we're using is that a, a traditional podcast is kind of like a print edition of a newspaper. It's, it's made once, uh, basically it can't be changed, at least not easily, and it goes out like that and stays like that. Uh, what Spooler allows you to do is create the homepage of a newspaper, where there are lots of different stories, and if you watch it through the day, they move around. Some increase in importance, some decrease, some need to be updated, some need to be taken out entirely. And the Spooler technology allows that kind of dynamism in anything that uh, involves updated information. Ooh, that's a new buzz term here. Dynamism in podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. So, oh, go, go ahead, Todd. No, go ahead. I'll come back. <laughs> so as you think about the, the content that's in this, um, what is your thoughts on how that content is being produced and then um, added? Are you concerned about volume levels being different between segments? I mean, how are you optimizing that so it seems like it's like, you know, all the same? <laughs> yeah, that, that was very important to us. We don't want it to sound like it's been stitched together, Frankenstein together. We have two hosts for the refresh. One is in uh, Austin, Texas. The other is in Toronto. They've actually never met in person. And yet uh, I would challenge you to listen to the show and tell me that it doesn't sound like they're sitting next to each other. Uh, in part, that's because we're very purposely conceiving of the show like that, to give them opportunities to talk to each other. But another big part of that is we partnered with Dolby. Uh, they have a new service, Dolby AI, where as soon as we put together a playlist of, of stories that we want to put out, we shoot it out to them. They do some uh, EQ magic on it magic. And, and make it – yeah, I'll just call it magic because I have no <laughs> idea how it works um, – and send it back to us, and it gets rid of a lot of the, the level differences and other you know, background sounds that could give you a clue that it was not being done in a studio with two people sitting next to each other. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the dynamic and insertion stuff can be demonized a little bit in the podcasting space. I know, um, you, know you, you start talking about programmatic, and, um, but yeah, this, it, can be, it depends on how it's deployed, right? Uh, and that's that's a content question, but it's also a technology question too. And I think it's getting to a point where it is pretty seamless. Todd? I'm gonna step back just a second and talk a little bit about the transcript piece. You know, it, it's really insane that we're not further along with that than we are. We've got the podcast 2.0 spec. It's something the podcast indie community has really stepped up and, and trying to extend the viability of the space through RSS that is really the lifeblood of podcasting. 
And I understand that providing a transcript that has a closed caption quality transcript is a little expensive at times for some indie podcasters, but it, it's really getting to the point where it's not that bad to have that level of quality. Now, are we going to be at television level of quality of closed caption? Probably not. But if is 90% good enough as step one? Would that be an MVP one if we're working on a scrum method? Would that be you know, capable to get us to 90% where at least those that are uh, hearing impaired can have at least a 90% solution where right now only 1% of podcasts, any type of transcript, any type of, and probably less than that, it's actually providing a closed caption playback. Um, I, th I think it should be an industry challenge that we get there. And, and maybe this year we can, as an industry, and there's some industry leaders in this room right now, I won't call you guys out, but it, it's time. It really is time for us to make that move. And at the same point, and I guess I'll transition this into the programmatic and ad insertion piece, which you started, um, going back to the Indies group presentation, two years ago, I'd have said that Indies were not ready for programmatic. Um, largely because the, you know, you may end up with an ad in your show that you really didn't want. And that's gotten a lot better. It's being managed a lot better. But I think podcasters are now at a point where um, if the only way they're going to get monetized is through programmatic, I think something is better than nothing. And, and programmatic rates are coming up. Now, the question is what happens when we unleash all the shows, the programmatic, is it going to drive the price down? I think there is exceedingly high demand right now for audio advertisement. So I'm not so sure that CPMs will be hurt if we cut it loose to those billions of downloads that are not monetized. There have been predictions that CPMs would collapse for at least 10 years now. <laughs> right. And so well, far. And, yeah, and certainly on the programmatic side, when programmatic started in some of the early platforms that supported it, the, the, the programmatic CPMs were very low, like 2 or $4. Um, but we've seen over the last few years that has risen dramatically, and that's as more buyers have gotten into it. Um, now, granted, the inventory part hasn't grown as fast, and that's been a factor in that growth as well. So I don't know, it'll be interesting but to see what I happens. I think the inventory is healthy, and we're seeing programmatic CPMs at 12 and $15, which is not the type of CPM you're going to get for HostRed, but it's better than nothing, right? So I think that we're at a point where... Again, we have to give content creators some incentive to grow and at the same, or help them grow and at the same time help them, you know, if nothing else, you know, have money to go to dinner with. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, I don't know if we want to talk a little bit about um, the voice cloning stuff that's going on in the space right now. I, I, you look at tools like Descript um, that are enable um, audio editing um, and creation. Um, so you can clone your voice. If you didn't know this, in the Descript tool, you can, you can go in and train their, um, their AI engine to um, replicate your voice, right? So you can edit both ways. You can edit the audio by editing the text, and you can add words to your text, and they will generate the audio um, into your show. Do you guys see this as kind of a, a, a technology that, um, could backfire on all of us, or do you think it's something that um, that we're going to see more of in the future? I don't know who wants to start. Both. Okay. <laughs> it's a simple answer. That was a quick. <laughs> no. I'll, uh, well, uh, 
I don't want to monopolize here, but I, I would say that uh, I, I look back, I'm a lifelong journalist, and, you know, the printed word and the, the text word and on our screens these days is very powerful. You can tell the truth or you can lie. And the reason that good journalism stays good is that there's a whole group of editorial principles and people supporting those principles that strive to tell the truth. And then there are others who blatantly lie. Uh, this technology will just be an extension of that. Some people will use it, like the, I saw a Descript um, demo yesterday, where you could use it for really useful things. If you get a fact wrong in a podcast and it's hard to go back and fix it, um, you might be able to use your voice to make something more accurate, which I think is a perfectly plausible way to use it. If you use it to uh, pretend that you are, like there was a deep fake of Vladimir Zelensky the other day, uh, probably put out by Russia, trying to say that they had lost the war. Well, that is obviously a, a very malicious use of a deep fake. So there, it's, it's going to be human standards that di dictate whether this is a force for good or a force for evil. Yeah, because this is being done in video too. So it's not yeah. just an audio issue. Um, James, do you have a perspective on this? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we, we need to be careful when we're talking about good companies like Descript who have built into their tool um, some real trust in there. So it's very difficult for you to get a voice uh, there's been one person, I think, who has tricked the, the, uh, the, the, the platform, but otherwise it's very difficult for, you, for me, for example, to get your voice in there and for me to get you saying ridiculous things or Todd saying ridiculous things. We do um, that enough already. <laughs> I wasn't going to say. Um, so I think that, you know, that that's, that's important, but I think you know, the, other, the other thing just to bear in mind is that you can not only use it to correct errors after you've recorded something without getting the voice talent back in again, the other thing that you can do with it is that you can make podcasts more accessible by, for example, if you listen to the Sounds Profitable uh, podcast uh, with Brian Barletta, there's a version of that which is in Spanish. And Brian is reading Sounds Profitable, the latest uh, article all about ad tech, in Spanish, despite the fact that he does not speak a word of Spanish because it's the tool that he is using is both doing the doing the translating it then goes through a little bit of human checking first and then it gets um, synthesized into his voice speaking Spanish and the weird thing is they've done that for my voice as well it takes about nine hours of of voice and you have to sign all kinds of legal documents but once you've done that um, then it's got my voice, so I can speak Spanish as well. I don't speak a word of it. But also, very, very weirdly, when, it, when, it, when I ask it to speak English, then it's this weird American-type thing <laughs> coming, coming, out of my, coming out of my throat. It's the weirdest sound ever. So, um, but, you know, so I, I think, you know, using it for accessibility, using it to perhaps translate instead of instead of getting an interpreter translating somebody something into a different language actually have the original voice doing that i think there's a lot of really interesting creative uh, sides although of course you know having real people doing this is an important thing as well rachel i was just gonna say i hadn't thought of that application that's incredible and how's the accent uh, the the accent well i mean uh Apparently, to Spanish people, it sounds it, it sounds it's okay. fine. It's, it's it, it still sounds obviously sure. uh, synthetic, but it sounds fine. It's, it, it sounds understandable and, and everything else. It's very weird me saying color and spelling it wrongly. 
so that, that very much confuses me. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a great piece of, of tech. And I love the idea of using, you know, Descript's overdub to correct, you know, something that you have said. If you, uh, um, you know, if, you, if you've got a, got a number wrong, uh, then uh, being able to do that without hauling somebody back into a studio, that, that, that's a really helpful thing. But I think what you started to say at the beginning is Descript is a wonderful company with a moral compass. And so having all those wonderful protections in place, then yes, it's great. It can be used for good, but it's just a matter of time before others follow suit who might not have that same moral compass. So. And I think from a protection standpoint, if you're keeping a copy of all the masters of interviews and things that you've done, the chance of you being taken and put out of context is probably low. Now, if it's a deep fake and they're making a completely fake video, then you're going to have to rely on other things to prove that you weren't the person that said that. But um, fortunately, I don't think most podcasters are going to be the target of that type of a campaign. I do want to move us to ad loads. You know, we talked about indies not having any ads, but uh, some of the uh, shows out there now are, I've listened to one show recently, had a seven ad load in a 45-minute show, and I'm like, holy cow. Uh, I know the ad limit on my audience, and it's nowhere near seven. It's actually two. So I, I'd like to raise the hands of those in the audience. Are some of you getting annoyed at the ad load on some shows? See, we're seeing a few hands. What's the highest, what's the highest ad load someone's heard? Just shout a number. 12. That's incredible. That's getting close to radio again. That's, that's <laughs> So do we have a problem with ad load? Is it, you know, as the media buyer said, oh, here's this great content. Uh, I want more, 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 more. And because they're not rolling the money down, they're just going to stuff more in what's existing. And conversely, if ad loads keep going up, is that then going to be beneficial for subscriptions? <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. Right? Because I'll, yeah, it reached a point where I'm like, how many dollars do I have to give you to make it stop? Yeah, I, I, I think there's certainly some, something of that. I think we should learn from radio. And I, I listened to Pierre, Pierre Bouvard, who was on the, the Sounds Profitable podcast. Gosh, too many plugs for Sounds Profitable. I must plug Pod News a little bit more. Um, <laughs> But uh, I was listening to uh, Pierre, Pierre Bouvard, and Pierre was saying, you know, look at commercial radio. Look at how successful commercial radio is, and that has 12 minutes of ads an hour. So, so podcasting is woefully under-monetized, and you guys should be putting far more podcasts in, uh, far more advertising in there. And I, I was there thinking, no, no, maybe commercial radio is way over-commercialized, and maybe you should take, take some of the ads out of there. So I think we should be careful yeah. there. But I think on the other side, we, we, need, we just need to be careful in terms of keeping uh, the CPM rates up. And there's, a, there's one really easy way to drop the cost per thousand of the ads that we sell, mm -hmm. and that's to jam more ads in there. That's the mistake that radio made. The radio station that I worked at 25 years ago, if you can believe it, um, I was still at school, obviously. Um, that, that radio station's cost per thousand for the advertising is, uh, was higher then than it is now. And we've had, you know, all of that time of inflation as well. Radio's cost per thousand has cratered, and we need to be really careful um, that we don't do that. So Lebsin's advertised cast at the moment uh, last month $23.46 was the that's, that's average cost right. per thousand. It's great that you published that because that's a great, a great figure for us to keep an eye on. We should make sure that, that we don't give any opportunity for that yeah. to drop. 
Yeah, and I think the big thing on that is to just remember that's an average, right? So the spectrum is much wider than that. Um, some shows get more, some shows get less. It can be as high as, you know, $50 or so for certain shows. So that opportunity is, is out there. But, you know, I think we have to keep in mind that um, one of the reasons this medium exists today, and that's looking back in time, and Todd can talk about this too, but um, uh, this medium exists because of a reaction of over-commercialization of radio. So go, go ahead if you want to. You know, I think if we go back, and, I, I, you know, it makes me the old curmudgeon in here, but if, if you go back to the beginning, there was really a double bird, flip the man off type of a- attitude in the beginning of podcasting. I mean, in a, in a, in a big way. Um, so I think that, you know, I take my own case in point. When I added the first advertiser to my show, I lost half my audience because they said I sold out. You know, and that was, people are shocked when they hear that, but that's just the way it was. Um, but going back to the CPM rates, we were getting 20 and 25 15 years ago. So the CPM rates really have not went up on an average. Some shows obviously get more, more, you know, and there's all kinds of scenarios. But uh, if we start to see the average CPM go down for host reds, I think we'll know that we've, uh, we've done something bad. And I'm, I'm worried that we're close to that at this point. Uh, the thing that Tom Webster came out with and talking about sediment on ad load, just, you know, and we've, Rob and I have been talking about this for about a year. It's, there's been some warning bells going on. So if you're running heavy ad loads, uh, I'm sure you're watching it and seeing where the, where the edge is. I know it was for my show. When I added a third advertiser, my audience went down. When I took the third advertiser out, it went back up, and I was doing an hour and 10 show. So that's what they would put up with. So I think it depends on the show. I really like your point, too, that you're devaluing your own inventory when you add so many there and driving your own costs down. Because if you do it right and make sure that everything you're doing is making your inventory more valuable and exclusive and harder to get, you'd eventually be charging twice as much for the same number of ads and doing less work. Yeah, I think it would drive down the value of host reads, which, which I think would be... That we don't want. We can't. The casualty, <laughs> I think, of over-programmatic, over right? Yeah, but if other people are doing that, if they're sticking a lot more in their yeah. show, then advertisers get used to a lower CPM, and when you charge them a higher one, they yep. will bulk at that. But I, do, I agree with you that it does present a good opportunity for subscription. I yeah. was at Slate when we launched Slate Plus, and that was uh, you know a, a bunch of podcasts that were available publicly with advertising, not too much, but you know enough. And uh, we launched a service where it was ad free and some bonus content for every episode. And I, I was a little skeptical, but it it went really well. Now we got probably 10% of the audience who would be willing to do that, but we were making more per listener than we were, a lot more per listener than we were uh, for the ad supported side. And, and those people were more engaged. When we did live shows, they were the ones who would come up and say, you need to change this about your show. They were very opinionated. They really were into it. Um, so that experiment to me showed me that there is an audience for this, but it has to be a, a show or shows that people are very passionate about. I'm excited to hear you say that. We, we launched our very first original in January, and it's a scripted, ethereal, heavily sound designed, 12-minute um, fever dream um, from Ghost Honey of TikTok, if anyone knows him. And it's only been a couple 
months. Uh, so the first ads we've done have been more prog programmatic because we have to build up to the point where people even know that we're selling host reds on there. And his fans, I mean, because it is, it's a very sweet, dreamy show. And so then to have that interrupted, even if the category is right, they, they just are jarring. And so I can see on his Instagram, you know, his followers are clear, like, please have an ad-free subscription. Okay, we're going to set it up. But like, so, the, you know, clearly, yeah, for the right show, I think clearly the demand is there. And if that's a side effect, then great. And there, there's an old trick from public radio, which was my background, which is, People feel good when when they support you with money, and and you tell them that what they are doing is keeping you going. It's you know it's like donating. Well, in the case of public radio, it literally is donating to a charity. You can even get a tax write-off. But but the idea that what you're doing is helping people and shows you like is very powerful. So I, I would say if you're doing a subscription show, make it clear to people how important that is. Yeah, and I and I think also, you know, I mean, this is a this is a good time to remind you if you're listening to this podcast on a new podcast app, hit that boost button and support Rob and and Todd uh, because that's that's another way of getting showing the value from your your particular show uh, that, that that you listen to as well. And I think what I'm excited about is that the future for um, uh, for monetizing podcasting isn't just ads. It isn't just people screaming at you about you know, meal de delivery kits or, or mattresses. It could also be ad support. It could also be things, things like Patreon. It could also be things like, um, you know, Boostergrams and crypto and all of that kind of uh, stuff. It can be a wide range of things. And that's what's exciting about where we're moving to. It's not just one thing or the other. Our chat room uh, online, uh, Rick, a uh, longtime podcaster, he says, I skip through ads on podcasts when possible anyway. I think many listeners do. And then he goes on to say YouTube is already going over the edge with their oversaturation insertion of advertising in a video. So, you know, that's a podcaster's perspective where you don't have too many listeners because this is a pod podcast show about podcasts. So um, it'll be curious when you guys go out there and you start talking to your audiences you know, ask them the feedback on your ad load if you're running ads. You know, what do you think? Am I killing you or are you skipping? Are you listening? And I think that'll give you a good indication of where your show is and how, well, if you see your subscriber numbers go down, we know too. Yeah, and to kind of wrap this topic up a little bit too, um, the, the, the last important question is, do we need, as an industry, need to establish some sort of a standards limit on ad loads? Um, just so we... That would be very difficult to implement, but in concept, right, that we set some sort of limit of, you know, seven minutes per hour or something like that maximum is kind of like a rule of thumb um, for, for people to think about. But, you know, I think with the, the advent and the growth of programmatic type of advertising insertion, um, that there's going to be a temptation to overload. Um, I saw it in my early work with with programmatic when I was working at Spreaker um, where people would combine host reads with you know multiple insertion points with with programmatic and they could get up to eight ten ad spots very quickly um, it depends on the length of the show too but um, I think that's the real danger here it's an opportunity to spread advertising across larger numbers of shows because the industry is really heavy weighted towards the top one or two percent uh, big shows getting most of the ad revenue now, but we definitely, you know, Todd is 
in favor of this. He was selling advertising in the early days across two or 300 shows on a buy. So I don't know, Todd, do you want to talk about how you see that playing out? Uh, I've waited for the money to come back to the Indies for 15 years. It's not coming back unless we do it programmatic. The media buyers are just too scope locked on the big shows and don't understand the value of the indie podcasters when we have incidental proof of higher performance because of closer relationships that uh, podcasters have with their audiences. Host red is the key for small shows, but we're, it's, it's not going to happen. I've just kind of resigned myself to that fact. So now it's, I'm on the programmatic bandwagon and uh, we got to get money into podcasters' pockets one way or the other if they want it. Do you think if there was a network that made it easier to buy that they would? We've all tried it. We've, you know, I, I, I had, uh, you know, big bundles of shows, um, a tech network that had over 100 shows, and yet the media buyers would come in and cherry pick four or five shows out of the network because they were big, not because of any other reason. So um, unless you become absolutely ironclad and say, no, you can't have it unless you take the other, which I know twit and some others do um that's really going to be the management of that company saying no you have to take the bundle and yeah. you know and what are we workhorse to take a bundle yeah. and when i buy television well i don't buy television anymore because i'm i've cut the cord but we still have to buy bundles so if it's good to buy the bundles of television program they should buy bundles of podcast advertising so the way you know again learning from uh the way that commercial radio has done this in other countries uh certainly in the uk and in and in australia there is if you want it one buying point for all of radio that every radio company has bought into. In the UK, it's called Jet. And, uh, and, it, and it's an electronic trading thing where you can get uh, all of the stats, you can get all of the analytics, you can, um, you can buy through that one place and that uh, apportions everything out uh, just to make it really easy for the advertisers. And at the end of the day, I think it's both telling our story as podcast network, uh, as, as podcasters, rather than just as... SXM Media or as iHeart, um, telling our story as podcasting and allowing audience, uh, allowing advertisers to buy podcasting as a whole, I think would be really important. Hence, you know, coming back to that podcast advertising bureau idea of, you know, the Podcast Academy should be advocating podcasting and does a great job of advocating podcasting. The Ambies was a fantastic event, you know, on, on uh, Tuesday night. I don't think it's the Podcast Academy's job to go out and sell podcast advertising. But I think there is certainly a case for a group of people um, to be doing that on behalf of the industry, and the, and the whole industry buys into that. James, are those exchanges for host-read ads as well, or only for programmatic? Uh, so the exchanges, what, for commercial radio in, yeah. in the UK? They are, um, there isn't such a thing as, as, as uh, host-read ads. Uh, in the UK, actually, uh, and until very recently, they were illegal. Um, oh. Hooray, government! Um, <laughs> so, so, and funnily enough, you were saying earlier, you know, about a standard limit. Uh, it used to be when I started working in in uh, radio, nineteen eighty nine. It used to be that you weren't allowed to take more than nine minutes of ads an hour, uh, and there are still ad limits for TV in the UK. So, I think, I, I think, you know, that's certainly one way of looking at it. But I think. You know, uh, there, is, there is the other side, which is that audiences will know. Audiences will desert those or, wor or work away around getting, the getting rid of will. the ads. 
Yeah. Fast forward 30 seconds, fast forward 30 seconds, fast forward 30 seconds, fast forward 30 seconds. Uh, until, okay. until Spotify stop you from fast forwarding 30 seconds, which I understand that they're actually doing right. Well, then you so. don't listen on Spotify. <laughs> Indeed. Simple answer, right? Yeah. So let's, uh, let's kind of move on a bit. I think we, we dove pretty well into that. Um, where, James, and I guess this is kind of directed towards you, but anybody else comment on this too? On the international side, this is a huge area in the podcasting space that's been developing over the many years here. Um, where's the growth that you're seeing most right now, James, uh, in podcasting outside of the U.S.? I mean, there are, there's a tremendous growth of podcasting in other countries. The, uh, I think English was the... Uh, was um, a new podcasts in English were the fifteenth most popular language uh, in terms of new shows. Uh, Hindi is doing tremendously well. Indonesian, uh, uh, Portuguese, Spanish, and so on. Um, all of those doing and Mandarin as well. Um, so, uh, so there's a tremendous growth outside of North America, outside of English uh, uh, spoken. But as you've as you've hinted at in the um, uh, in the uh, slide that we can see here, it's not all Apple Podcasts. It's not actually all Spotify. It, it's a lot of local um, apps. The number one podcast app in Spain is Ivux or Ivux, depending on how you pronounce it, uh, and that is a you know that that has a ton of really good Spanish uh, content in there. Similarly, when you have a look into the Arabic countries, Angami. Uh, is very strong. Geosavan and Ghana are very strong in, in uh, India and so on and so forth. Tip, by the way, if you do a podcast about uh, entrepreneurism, uh, you know, business and stuff like that, make sure that you're in Geosavan, make sure that you're in Ghana. Uh, tremendous uh, audience in uh, India, which is the second largest English-speaking country in the world. Uh, you know, so, so all of that is, is, is absolutely fascinating. And in terms of advertising, I was talking to um, Ron Beitiong, who runs the um, uh, podcast network Asia, and he runs that out of the Philippines. And he has been doing really good stuff with affiliate deals, actually using host-read ads for affiliate deals where you can promote things on, on websites to go and buy, and that's his his network, you know, plan. So um, so he he has done very well out of that. So again, different monetization strategies as well in these di different countries too. And for the record, affiliate stuff has not worked well here in the United States when it's a pure affiliate play. Yeah, and I I I've been getting the impression that as as the international market grows to some degree, I I, I think um, there's a there's kind of a disconnect to some extent around host read advertising in those markets. I don't, James, if you can comment on this too, but uh, are we going to see programmatic be kind of the, the primary entry point for advertising outside of the U.S. as we look to the future? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think there is a um, there, there is a, 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 a disconnect. I mean, certainly when you're looking at countries where the podcast industry is less established then you see that there's an awful lot of reheated radio shows uh, in the in the charts uh, rather than uh, what the French uh, the French call native podcasts which is a podcast made as a podcast not as repro not as just reheated uh, radio um, and clearly you know if if you're coming at this from a radio background then you're used to having ad spots you're used to having a 
you know, a commercial stop set of, um, you know, of two or, of two or three ads in a go. Um, but I think, again, you know, we are seeing uh, branded uh, content doing, doing very well out of, um, out of English, you know, uh, um, uh, non-English markets. You know, branded content is beginning to be a thing um, and different ways of monetizing as well. I think it's just in some of these countries. Um, and, and, you know, fascinating to see, for example, in, uh, the, in the French-speaking part of Canada, that used to be quite far behind in terms of podcast consumption, now it's pretty well equal to the English uh, part of, um, of, uh, of Canada. Things are catching up, and I think things are catching up because there's the content there for people. Uh, people are discovering podcasting, and good practice is coming from all, o- all over the world, and I think it's an exciting time. Yeah, and in some of the, the, like Western Canada, the consumption of podcasting is actually a higher percentage than even in the U.S., so... Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, but I mean, I think the other, the other thing is just making sure if you are doing stuff outside of North America and wanting your podcast to be a real hit in countries where they don't speak English as their first language, absolutely working with people in those countries um, is a really important thing, just getting that culture right. I don't know whether you've found that, Rachel, in terms of some of the work that you've, that you've been doing. Well, we're lucky that we have a global talent network, so we can tap people to, even for a, a sensitivity read, a translation, all of that, which has been, um, so yes, incredibly helpful for that. Um, I do think, as if we're talking about international and share of market, I don't think we could not talk about YouTube as yeah. you know, the second largest distributor internationally, depending on where who well, you're looking at. That's globally. At yeah. global, yeah. And um, you know, they certainly uh, are pro- generally programmatic ads. So that could, I mean, now that they're saying they're finally paying attention to what a large platform they are for podcasters and making it better for podcasters and investing in that. That's a, that's very interesting to me. Well, you said that YouTube word, and that's going to trigger us. Oh, well, no. <laughs> it, it's actually not, and I'm doing, I'm breaking a rule. I'm not telling the audience we've got a five-minute mark here before the end. Mm. Don't tune out live. Um, <laughs> or those of you listening later. I did want to give, I know we've got one more question on the board here, and then I want to give enough time for everyone to go through and basically plug themselves. But I do want to ask about the, you know, it looks like pro podcasting is like rocking. looks like uh, lots of jobs, uh, are you, ha- are you hiring Andy or uh, is everyone is like, seems to be moving right now? Well, yes, we're uh, at Spooler, we're hiring developers at Insider. We're probably going to be hiring producers soon. But I, uh, I mean, when I went into radio in the 80s, my father looked at me and said, are you crazy? Why are you going into a dying medium? And, uh, and I, for years, uh, probably advised people um, not to get into it, that it wasn't, there weren't that many opportunities. Now I say, go for it. Learn how to aud- edit audio quickly because we need you. And uh, it, is, it is extraordinary, um, the, the explosion of hiring. The, the number one people qu- uh, question people ask me is, who do you know? I need someone right away. Yeah, Our, the staffing arm of pod people is exploding. Um, but on the same token, we get requests a lot of times and for very senior people. And there are only so many senior people because it's literally how long have you been doing it? How many hours have you put in? And so a lot of what we're doing on the community side is creating curriculum to literally level someone up to be a senior story editor or teach them what they need to know about narrative or sound design 
or any, so like that's our big focus for the year is that education piece so that we can grow the talent force because we are in such a talent drought, which is awesome for people who are wanting to get into this. And just this week, I got a contact from my longtime sponsor, GoDaddy, and they said, hey, do you know someone that's a senior business development person in podcasting? So they're going to have a job posting soon. I told them to go over to your site and post the link. So maybe you'll see that job posting over there. Well, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, Why doesn't everyone again go ahead and uh, plug your sites, how to contact you, all that good stuff? Go ahead, Dan. Yes, so I I would encourage you to give a listen to our show, The Refresh from Insider, uh, available on all the major podcast apps and on on the site. But uh, if you're interested in Spooler and our um, content stitching uh, uh, offering, uh, you can reach me at andy at spooler.fm. Um, yeah, so podpeople.com, pretty easy to remember. You can see all of our work there and the different services that I mentioned in our originals, which again, just came out. So I'm very excited about them. Um, in my spare time, I write fiction comedy podcasts and Bone Mary Berry is our most recent. It's a raunchy, very much R-rated reverse whodunit with Sarah Highland and Harvey Guillen and Trixie Mattel and a bunch of other super talented folks. So if you are into the fiction or if you think you don't like audio fiction, Try it. Uh, and uh, podnews.net uh, is uh, where I write every single day about uh, the podcast industry. I've realized that coming to a, co- a podcast conference and and writing a daily newsletter is not necessarily compatible. I'm going to have to fix that for next time. Um, and also soundsprofitable.com, if you're interested in any of the ad tech stuff that you've heard today, uh, is a good thing. And super stoked and excited to be working with Ariel Nissenblatt as well. If you're looking for some great podcasts to go and have a listen to, then visit the Earbuds Podcast Collective, which is now part of the podcast network at earbuds.audio. Oh, and I'm James at podnews.net. And, and you should be reading his newsletter every day if you are serious Absolutely. about this industry. Thank you. I'm Todd at Blueberry.com. That's Blueberries without the E's because we couldn't afford the E's. You can also find me at Geek News or at Blueberry on uh, Twitter. Rob? Yeah, uh, Rob Greenlee. And I can be found on Twitter as well at Rob Greenlee with two E's on the end. And if you want to reach out to me, um, just send me an email, robg at lipson.com. And happy to get back to you. And the most important thing is we want you to follow or subscribe to the show. We do this every week. It's typically a 90-minute talk between Rob and I with an occasional guest that we bring on. And sometimes people are scared to come on, but uh, usually we treat everyone pretty nice. If you have any tips, secrets, or insider information, we always love to hear that as well because we like to share that with the community, especially if uh, you want to sneak it to us. So anyway, thanks, everyone, for being here. And our online audience, thank you so much. Again, newmediashow.com. Thank you. We'll see you next year. Thank you. Hit the boost button.